startup like Jeff, you try and tell yourself, oh, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's just Sterling Uni. Oh, you know, it's just a university campus. It's fine. I can do these. But of course it's not. You know, there's, oh, there's a Swiss runner a minute behind me. Or, oh, that Swede's just gone around the corner. It's, it yeah, is a different yourself, scenario. Aren't you? For me, I found it almost more dangerous. You're not in a normal setting. You know, there's not loads of kids or older people running around. You're in a very sort of controlled elite environment. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Run-In brought to you by Envy and Straight Compasses. We're joined this week by Nathan Lawson, young up-and-coming um, early senior uh, GB orienteer. But before we get into the main interview of Nathan, he's going to join us for our wrap-up of the 2021 year. Uh, 2021? 2021? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been a long year. <laughs> if only it was 2021. <laughs> oh no, 2020. Oh. Oh. Well, He's I, going to join us <laughs> the wrap up of 2020. <laughs> we just wish it. We wish it had been deleted. Well, as much of a wrap up we can do. I was listening through to the last the podcast we did this time last year of 2019, and we had some great answers for all of our categories. So now we're gonna now the challenge is try and dredge up some kind of like answers for our for our categories <laughs> it's gonna be just just 2020 like it's just gonna be the whole you know our answer to everything i think yeah oh and yeah looking forward to what i mean hopefully a better next year next year but maybe maybe 2022 <laughs> oh, crossed that I, I did just see that poms literally got cancelled for next year about an hour ago so that was uh no. Already oh. another another blow for next year already. Oh, <laughs> are, you ki- are you kidding? No, they've pushed it to twenty twenty two. Yeah, it's. Ah, uh... uh, do you know what? I was actually gonna book holiday off work tomorrow for Palm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was like, that's that's gonna be the first race. That's the. My yeah, mum already happen. has the week penciled out for Palm as well. She's already oh, like man. penciled it in. I think she can move it, but she's already got it in for with an eye on Palm Portugal meeting. Yeah. No, oh, that's so bad news. Okay, let's let's, let's <laughs> live go. news, live yeah. news on the podcast. Yeah. Um, in other news, actually, before we jump into the uh, review, we do have some news. Uh, the Czech have, in good coronavirus news, the Czech Republic have lifted their embargo on people training on the walk terrain, so it's now open again for people to start training for walk in the Czech Republic next year. So that is some good news, at least for anyone yeah. aiming for world champs it looks like um, so it says yeah. the walk organizers have worked for an exemption to like a travel ban and received approval from the czech authorities allowing athletes from all countries to enter the czech republic for training i still reckon it's going to be pretty difficult to get there though right at the moment yeah yeah i imagine I think, it depends on yeah. your country i was gonna say mm-hmm. like for our for our rules i know that like technically i think we can visit norway but we still have to quarantine on return and i'm guessing it would be the same for, for the czech republic which is yeah, a bit of a pain. Mm. Uh, although mm. it is still, like you say, good news. And also good news for Euromeet and for people that are going to be starting to look at that for early next year as well. Yeah, mm. true, true. And I did feel a bit sorry for all the Czechs who couldn't actually do any walk-related training, supposedly, um, in their own country, even though everything's walk-related training. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's quite yeah. good. There was, there was some funny posts from uh, Milos Nikodim and uh, Wojciech Kral on that. Uh, basically, every training session they were putting an Instagram post being like, is this relevant terrain? Is this relevant terrain? And uh, so, yeah, it did raise a fairly, fairly pertinent point on it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Um, yeah, no, it's a good they can train again. And oh, it's just, oh, that is quite gutting about POM. But no, next year's going to be a better year. Um, if not, 2022 will be a better year. Um, hopefully. I'll have to wait and see <laughs> if Mock gets cancelled next now. Mock sprint camp in uh, Italy, but that's the Mediterranean uh, yeah. O camp, right? Yes, Mediterranean O camp. So a lot of people use that as their sprint training, um, kind of pre-season for the year. Weather training. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if that goes ahead. But anyway, on to happier topics. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll dive into our 2020 season review. So we set ourselves the challenge of coming up with an answer to five kind of questions, and we'll go through them in turn. Um, I guess I'll uh, I'll ask you guys first to. Uh, as we dive in, and then we can kind of cycle round. Um, first one up, course of the year, either that you yourself ran or have seen. Uh, Catherine, should we start with you? Okay, well, I've got two here that's kind of tied, and they are not, I, neither of them have I run, but I have a thing about long distances and like it being really hard to plan a long distance well in this country, particularly. And so I'm going to recognise two 
long courses that were fantastic both of them on Graithwaite so the junior <laughs> and the senior long courses that were in part of the UK Elite O League they both had like really great um really really great long legs um across like the forest although maybe Nathan will disagree with me about the senior one for the controls being quite close together on the <laughs> but we'll get to that a bit later oh, um, it's still, it's so, still a bit raw that one <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> so um maybe the junior one just just gets it there and also it's really hard to plan a a proper long distance for like a MLW 16 because you've to get the right terrain and the right kind of challenge at the right level and a proper you know proper long legs and the proper features that you get of a long distance course that that means that's why like those are the the two for me i i also had uh, the graveyard races uh as a close second for me actually um i i completely agree and i know there was a lot said about the um the junior race especially and uh i know before the senior races i did a few runs just in sheffield with the junior map and uh you know even just running on paths it was incredibly hard to work out what anything even was let alone routes and things like that um but because i didn't run it myself uh i figured it wasn't really a fair assessment so <laughs> i've actually gone for the ruslan beaches middle um mm. and i think it's for me it's mainly because it's been i can't even remember the last time i've run a course in the uk where literally every second you're out in the forest you had to be reading the map other than the single field run through um like even finding the line to the from the last control to the finish you had to read your map for half the leg and i, I think as a return to orienteering for most uh most of the seniors i thought that was absolutely incredible um you know amazingly well planned uh people making mistakes all over the place uh including myself and uh, yeah i thought it was just you know an absolutely pure orienteer and middle distance course. Yeah, I was so jealous of looking at that map. I've got the map yeah. back up in front of me again now and just yeah, going across the slope with all the crags and everything. Mm. And, and, and it really was a, appalling weather as well. It was um, you know, just driving rain <laughs> and that slope with all the uh, all the leaves on was so treacherous. It was uh yeah, it was quite an experience. It definitely felt longer than sort of that thirty five minutes that we ran for. It's a proper epic proper orienteering i think mm. and like a again it's like uh, my thing about being a proper long course this is a proper middle distance course it's got all the characteristics it's got some slightly longer legs slightly shorter legs but that change of direction and well pretty much what you said having to be reading the map all the time yeah and, and the fact it was won it was won by the best orienteer on the day which uh you know that that to me says that the middle distance course has worked because it you know it is about that really fine navigation and orienteering rather than necessarily you know, fitness coming into play as much as it does in a long distance. I will. Yeah. Um, well, you, you want proper long distance? Check out the 2020 uh, Norwegian long champs up near Trondheim. That is a hell of a course. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is a stonker. Um, courses that I have run, I'll, I'll give my, Yeah, I'm going to be cheeky and have two answers. Um, well, we've both right. had two answers for, for well, this one true. already, so yeah. go feel free. I, I would either say one of the training courses, interestingly, that uh, Nathan and I did on camp in Portugal in February on some of the open sand dunes. Well. Yeah. yeah, in Portugal. <laughs> just beautiful, fast, rolling sand dune terrain, um, forested sand dunes. I can't remember the name of the area for the life That's of me. Great. It was amazing. And, uh, uh, or the... Middle distance of the Lakes Lakeland Warrior weekend, the head to head, just for the the difference in style of having you know a an A and a B course versus each other starting at the same time, you know, rattling for a start list, um, enjoying for me of it being my first one back after the whole lockdown break and things, and it was just yeah an area that not well hardly any of us had oriented on before as well. So all of those things added up to make yeah what was for me my favourite course that I ran over the year. Sounds good. Let's move on to results, shall we? Um, Nathan, do you want to go first on this one? Um, yeah, I mean, similar to yourself on the last one, I've got a couple actually, um, but I think they all deserve recognition really. Um, so I've sort of gone start of the season to the end. Um, so I actually started with Megan Keith in the cross-country season because um, mm. I was just looking at the results again and she basically just won every race going in britain um, and she won the Lindsay's cross country this last yeah. weekend as well yeah she's yeah like she's clearly carried that form over 
through lockdown, um, won Intercounties, won uh, the British Cross Challenge, I think, last winter as well, won the Scottish mm-hmm. Champs. Yeah. Um, you know, for someone so young, the time she's running is absolutely incredible. And I think that's going to be really exciting to see the next few years what she can do. Um, then had Chris at the World um, World Championships on the road. Um, I think for any orienteer to get to to that sort of level is mm. unbelievable. Um, yeah. And it's really inspiring for everyone else, I think, and was kind of, you know, it gave everyone a little bit of hope and sort of a bit of a boost. Um, Those half marathon champs that are in Poland. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, on a really keep... that really yeah. fast course. Goodness yeah. me, that was yeah, brutal. Yeah. That race. Yeah, um, and, uh, yeah. I think for um, coming from an orienteering background, Chris is you know showing what what the potential is for for runners going forward with that. Um, mm. And then in terms of orienteering, because it is an orienteering podcast, so I suppose <laughs> that should that should yeah. feature. Um, I think Cecilia over both the Lakeland weekends. Um, I know that yeah. Um, yeah, I know that Ali and Ali and Gigi ran really well on the men's, um, but in terms of kind of consistency and you know just sort of really showing what she can do, I think that was really impressive. Um, and yeah, you know, beating a real lot of top runners uh, in really really challenging terrain. So that was my kind of three to to raise. Well, we've had the same thoughts, Nathan, because Cecilia is my pick for results um, of the year. Um, yeah exactly the same reason winning four out of the last five uk elite od Mm -hmm. races some of them by a hefty margin uh and a lot of the time well when she was chatting to us on the on that last episode she didn't even say she had a particularly great run either so uh, (laughs) she can have a pretty kind of like a not great run and and be beating the the field that we have yes okay not all the british women were there but it was one of the to be honest one of the better start lists we've seen in in terms of the depth of the start list mm-hmm. for a, for a long time it feels like to me so having yeah those four out of five absolutely highly commendable which is exactly why we had to have her on last time <laughs> to be able to celebrate that uh will um yeah so i guess there's uh all of those great results from from megan from chris that uh that nathan mentions uh for me th- there's two different tacts to my answers i'm gonna i'm gonna go for two again um <laughs> essentially one um frederick tronchand for all of his races in the trail running scene this year where he came mm-hmm. second at siezanal de Kilian journey by i think just 20 seconds or 40 seconds or something like that mm-hmm. um big 32k mountain race in the swiss alps and then won the solomon golden trail series as well uh beating um you know all like, some of the best trail runners across the world in a four-day stage race and really putting Himself and orienteering on the on the map in a in a different style as well, um, which is great to see because uh, his he was in Australia over over last winter and then got locked down there, decided not to come back and stayed up there for a while longer and um, kind of as he didn't come back to to Europe at all and didn't see his family for such a long time, so him to come back and and race really well and just yeah, dominate a whole different sport, I think was pretty cool yeah. to see. And then um, my second one as well is Matt Elkington's results at Lakeland uh, Warrior Weekend because he was riddled with COVID for most of the summer, <laughs> only started running again in August and had only had done no intervals or any kind of long runs over an hour or anything like that up until October and then um, managed to come fourth, I think, twice in that weekend and probably should have been third in the long distance race on the Sunday, given the fact that he didn't eat, had that was the longest he'd run um since February. It was or since since March maybe. That was a yeah, that was a real result for me to see him actually kind of come back from that long COVID. Yeah. Wow. Well he he, t- he told us he wasn't training, but we all know. Well yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was actually just in a pain cave on Zwift all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's really good to see him back running. That's yeah, that's a, a big relief actually. Yeah. Um, the other thing about Fredo's run there as well, uh, especially Cieza now, he ran his solo as a time trial, whereas Killian that's ran true, his yeah. uh, with all the Solomon athletes. So that's even more impressive again. Yeah, yeah 32k cool. on your own in the Alps. Yeah. <laughs> some of the pictures from that are really, really great in terms mm. of, the, you know, over some of the, the rocks and stuff, having to scramble around. It looks, it looks really amazing. Yeah. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'll lead on to the breakthrough and um keep the ball rolling so my night 
I struggled on this one, to be honest, because I felt like there's a few people that would have had a really good breakthrough this year if the races had been on. You know, people like um, Megan Keith, uh, Grace, well, I say Grace Moore, I kind of um, broke through last year, but, you know, cementing that uh, this year and, and maybe Ali Thomas as well at um, Jaywalk and progressing from the year before. But I really, yeah, I kind of struggled to settle on someone. So I probably would say for me it is Ali. Thomas for um, for the results against seniors this year when there had been kind of no racing and no form and he had all of the races for the final year of juniors pulled from underneath him and he still managed to do really well. Um, yeah, that's who yeah, I've gone going. for as well. Um, uh, but that, yeah, <laughs> just for that breaking, having such a great run of results as a, as a senior. He's still a junior, you know, in the senior categories mm. doing, um, doing really well. That's the closest to a breakthrough. I wish... I wish there'd been more races so that we I didn't have to put a, like British elites in the basically in all of the answers to all of my categories. So I wish I could say, you know, someone who's a W16 or a, I don't know, M70 or something that I could put in some of these categories. But there's not been any, there's not been enough races of note for me to be able to find any well, other breakthroughs. I'm sure there have there, been some. Was there Joe Hood at the junior races? He, I remember him running really well. Um, at least on one or two other days, he seemed to. Yeah, uh, he ran. Yeah, he ran well. He, he seemed um, to run up against the eight, the the twenties. I think he seemed to place really well on those. Um, but yeah, I I agree with with Ali. It's, it's almost a little bit of a disservice to Ali though, because to say he's having a bit of a breakthrough, he's been present in yeah. this kind of top senior results for probably two years or so now, and you know, kind of the way he trains and his approach to his orienteering is it's it's not rough. It's not reflective of how a lot of juniors are, which, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really impressive, and I have absolutely no doubt we're going to see a lot of him in the next year or two. Um, you know, really taking it to the seniors. I think. Mm. I think we could tell that from when he was on the podcast as well, his kind of dedication and the way he was training, and um, you know, when we were asking him about what his plans for the future were, mm. you know, he was he's very very ambitious and kind of rightly so in terms of that. I think and. Yeah. yeah, I think evidently he's been putting in a lot of work for a good number of years, but I think mm-hmm. maybe maybe this year it's properly starting to show on a, a and I think maybe we're noticing it where maybe we are just noticing it more because he's running against the seniors and mm. then you can kind of put a measure against just how good he's been doing, so which is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. think there's definitely no because because like you say he's he's very ambitious, but I also think at the same time He's also very grounded. You know, he mm. doesn't necessarily do those sort of like big hitting workouts or like crazy weeks. He just, he's very consistent. He knows what training works for him. And clearly it's paying off. And I think that's a real good lesson for people that are looking to sort of get into that um, and move into those age categories that he's been running in is that mm. it doesn't have to be, you know, kind of all fireworks every day. It's it's the kind of accumulation of good, consistent training and uh, having that confidence in your own technique, really. Or even though he was aware, I think he did a bit overtrain a little bit um, mm. into lockdown, but he, he was very aware that like, you know, very reflective of, okay, that wasn't, this is why I'm now injured. This is why it wasn't particularly a good idea. And I like have quite a lot of confidence that that will be a like a learning point. Mm. And, and I think he's, he's ambitious, but because there's, because I think he's got confidence from, um, knowing he's doing a good job and knowing that maybe uh, he has ambitions for longer term ambitions rather than just kind of I want to beast this session I want to do well tomorrow I want to do well you know in the next year I think he's got a lot much more of like a longer term plan going on which as you said is quite unusual Mm. yeah Mm. Uh, so we've all gone for Ali T on that one sounds like it yeah (laughs) yeah Ali T loving Nice, nice. <laughs> Even though we're all kind of saying it's not really a breakthrough because he's been good for a while. So, but there we yeah. go. <laughs> it's almost like a fan club episode rather than a, a general orienteering one. It's, yeah. Crazy yeah. Ali. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, let's do uh, the big, the, the shock of the year. Um, I mean, the whole year has been a shock, hasn't it? Really? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, anything I've that you COVID. want to particularly mention? Um, Primoz Roglic losing the Tour de France. That was a big shock. Uh, <laughs> Come on, this is an orienteering podcast. <laughs> that shook me. 
Um, <laughs> I don't think. There was, well, other than COVID, there, there, I don't know if there was much. Um, I think I, I obviously there's. I felt like the JK being cancelled so early was a bit of a shock. Um, oh yeah, you're right. I, I don't yeah. necessarily think it's the wrong decision by any means, and I think you know the organisers obviously would have done everything they want that they can do for it, but that just felt that felt very strange to you know mm. have already six months later there's no you know the, the biggest race of, of the year domestically and it's just gone and it was sort of like well w- what do we do now sort of thing but it's... Mm. yeah and especially compared to everything else which has just been kind of like postponed and postponed mm. and then oh we'll do it at some point oh we'll still yeah. be able to use that map at a different time and mm. you know with like the british and things like that and it came so early when everybody else was full of hope of we'll get something on at some point and then and then it was just like completely off yeah. yeah, I yeah maybe maybe it was shocking that we all treated it so lapsely in February when people were still going to Portugal and stuff like that. I remember being in the airport seeing people <laughs> in face masks and thinking, "What are you doing?" Yeah, it's actually, not, no, not I, that serious. I remember yeah. on, when we were on camp, we it was mentioned at you know dinners and stuff, to almost jokingly in passing, and then yeah, was it like two weeks later we were in lockdown and it was yeah yeah that was right. quite shocking looking back. Mm. Um, yeah. I my one of my kind of couple of shocking moments are when yeah when when going back to what we said earlier about the the walk embargo in Czech Republic and people not being mm. allowed to train on any terrain that was the bit of like oh wow okay that's that was a quite a bold move I th- I think to make for for better or for worse I still haven't really decided what I think about it but it was just a bit of a I thought it was a very bold move. And then my my joking one is seeing Florence Haynes on the start list. That was a, that was a good shock. That was a positive <laughs> shock. Like just seeing some good people, just like doing some orienteering, having a great time. So like so, seeing Florence Haynes on the on the start list, I I'm sure she'll take that in good humour. But that was the shock of the year for me. <laughs> After so many years, so uh, it's well, it's one. only because I think she's like one year orienteering year above me. So uh, um, uh, used to yeah. be a name I saw around a lot, basically. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think she, I remember always remember my sister racing Florence, and it was uh, yeah, she's all, yeah always in that top three in mm-hmm. all the junior races, and uh, yeah, it's just, it just is it just happened, doesn't it? People just seem to find other things and uh, drift away a bit. But it's good to see people coming back as well. Yeah, definitely, and in like a chilled and you know not non pressured way as well. I think mm. so people can really enjoy mm. it. Uh, so we all done our shocks. I think so, yeah. yeah. I did have, I did have uh, George Foster's Bob Graham time as well because that was really impressive. Um, getting the second fastest ever Bob Graham time and beating Billy Bland's record. Um, I know it's not orienteering, but that was quite amazing when it happened. Yeah, that was impressive, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like Sasha as well doing his... Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 There you, you go. Know. There's, a, yeah. there's a breakthrough onto the ultra running scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that could be that was impressive true. well i think it's, that's just yeah. been what this year has been i think for a lot of people it's been you know do doing something you wouldn't normally do and mm. having been able not having that many or any competitions and putting in a, a training year that's been unlike any other year has kind of allowed these we've seen so many records breaking i mean shoe discussions aside we've seen so <laughs> many records being broken in in athletics and in road running and all that kind of things as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's classic Sasha as well to just, you know, do it so low key and, uh, yeah, it takes such a massive chunk off it. It's, uh, I, I think it's been massively understated personally. Um, but then he also isn't one to kind of blow his own <laughs> trumpet. So, it's, uh, yeah. So we'll that's a massive, very, very Sasha style as well. Yeah. Nice. Um, so moment of the year. Ooh. Moment of the year. What do you think? This was oh, this was tough. Um, I I think the seeing everyone again at the Lakes weekend was a really nice moment. Uh, after not being in the orienteering scene for quite a few months, that was quite cool to see everyone. Um, orienteering wise, probably the um, leading a camp in February. There were some pretty cool moments during the night on that, just racing head to head with a <laughs> bunch of 20 guys through some Portuguese forest, just smashing yeah, just it through there. Random, that was really random cool. Random shouts in the green every now and again. That was, yeah. yeah, random <laughs> that shouts was in the green. And then Johan 
uh, Runison oh, playing yeah. <laughs> loads of music for his speaker and trying not to get stressed out when he was just jogging behind you. That's this you gonna off. sound really weird. I actually had a dream about that the other night. I, <laughs> and it was almost like a slight oh, like anxiety dream. I was. I, yeah, I I've changed my shocking then. moment actually to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was. All, you know, it was like it was amazing because you know he's obviously a, he's a you know world champion, but he just pops up for control with the boombox and you're like. Oh God, it's my turn! Bloody hell! <laughs> <laughs> like, already struggling in the train, and you've got like yeah, an incredible orienteer with a bloody massive boombox taking <laughs> around. It is harrowing. Sort of doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help and at that all. is exactly why he does it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> oh, that must be that must be really weird. Like, just, yeah, just really. It's, it's pretty surreal. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah that, yeah, that is certainly a moment. But but I guess do you now look back on that camp very differently now having not really not had any camp since yeah yeah that was, that was the last time i took a flight last time i was in the airport um last time abroad until november is the last time i had a holiday from work so um yeah it was a uh, yeah it was all very different it's different world <sighs> Yeah. Strange. Uh, so you, maybe you want to be back now in the, that forest with Jan Runison with the boombox, like chasing oh, you. Anything, to, anything like to be there. there. <laughs> what I wouldn't give to have Johan running after me in the dark. Be, <laughs> yeah, that would be um, good. Make make my day. <laughs> yeah, Nathan, what's your moment? Uh, mine was actually very similar to Will's. I've got uh, standing with all the uh, Shuok and Spook guys, um, just on a muddy track in the middle of the lakes. Um, it almost felt like uh, sort of that first couple of trips away in my first year of undergrad. Um, mm. You know, like everyone was there. Um, it almost felt very normal, uh, and it was. And actually, there's a lot of people. You know, like uh, Paddy Jones was there, uh, and Ollie Williams was back. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people that haven't really been orienteering too much the last few years, and uh, yeah, that was really nice for me. Um, yeah, I'm going to leave it on that. Actually, I don't need to. Yeah, don't don't want to put anything else because that was the nicest moment of the year for me in terms of mm. what's happened with orienteering and and my moment of the year well moments of the year every start line i've stood on you know that's an actual proper start line not just me going off to find some tapes in a forest and you know just having that countdown and picking up a map and going mm. and just being super thankful to everybody who's actually managed to make an event happen this year and there've been loads of people, even beyond that, who've who've tried and not managed to make an mm-hmm. event happen this year. Goodness knows, we've had a couple in SN who, that that just haven't happened or have, still haven't happened yet. And every all the effort that's gone in to to get you know just that start box and be there and actually be racing and appreciating that those are the moments. I had one at the, I was lucky enough to have one at the weekend, and it was oh, it just felt so great to be out orienteering and. Yeah, there's a huge amount of unsung heroes in this sport, I think. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of focus on elite orienteering because that's the one that gets the TV coverage and you know all the Facebook posts and everything. But um, I think you know it, this sort of crisis brings home that behind the scenes, there's so many people that without them, they just they genuinely wouldn't be a sport. Um, mm. Yeah, I think ho- hopefully a lot more people will step up and kind of volunteer at events and things like that because it is going to be needed in the. Uh, in the sort of restart, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of small jobs that need to happen, and it's, you know, it's a it's a volunteer sport. That's exactly what it is at, at all levels. Right, shall we try and we we've wrapped up our review of the year. Let's hope <laughs> let's hope next year we can like have some like more diverse answers. I don't know. It feels like I've, <laughs> it feels like it's been very elite focused. Which there's a like. It's kind of what we do on the podcast, but also like to do have a try and do a little bit of um, non elite, non British stuff as well um, throughout the episodes. Right, let's um, properly get uh, into chatting to you then, um, Nathan. How I mean, how's this year been for you? What have what have you managed to get up to? <laughs> <laughs> um, very strange. Um, yeah, it has been for everyone. Um, weirdly though, in terms of kind of my normal life um so i was finishing my master's this year uh when everything kind of struck basically kind of the back end of the autumn term uh spring term the summer term just got cancelled um but that kind of carried on i was still studying uh it just went remote but because 
Uh, I was doing an arts masters anyway, so a lot of it was remote. Um, that all carried on. Um, I was also working from home and working in up and running in the running shop in Sheffield. Um, so I never really got kind of that proper furlough break or anything like that. Um, which actually looking back, I'm kind of thankful for because it meant I kept my routine. Um, I kind of kept training fairly well because it was a nice release from the other things I was doing. Um, and you st- presumably yeah. you're still being a student, you've still got that flexibility to be able to fit things around each other, fit the training in, in with being a student, in with the studying and everything. And yeah, definitely. Work. Yeah. 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 I think I think postgraduate's a little bit different. Um mm. it's obviously still way more flexible than a full time job. Um, you know, you can't it's and actually working remotely even more so. Um but yeah, in terms of like timing in the day, it's you know, you can always get a morning running, you can always run in the daylight, which is mm you know, a huge plus. Um, and yeah, uh, being in Sheffield wasn't a particularly bad place to be locked down for running because um, there's so many nice places to run on your doorstep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been pretty uneventful, to be honest. Um, yeah, like uh, I trained really well at the start of the year, went on the camp with Will um, in February and that was amazing. Um, I did so much orienteering, uh, came off the back of that and had I think we had maybe like two weeks until the British champs. Mm. I was really, really fired up. And the whole domestic season, I had it all, all in the calendar since the previous sort of September, October. Um, put a lot of work in. Uh, obviously, all got cancelled. Um, but, yeah, and then I, I tend to find I'm not too bad at once something happens, I'll sort of have like a day of having a bit of a paddy and being a bit stroppy about it. And then the next day, I'll be thinking, right, okay, so what's the next thing? Or you know, what can I do now that um, can kind of improve this and work towards something else? Um, So what was that for you? What was the, this is what I'm doing now when everything got cancelled? So I I did, uh, I I really knuckled down on my uni modules. um, Mm. So I had a lot of time to do that and it felt productive. Um, And then really I kind of, a lot of things were getting pushed back to the autumn. uh, And there was still talk of the kind of fell race season and maybe some mountain marathons going on. So uh i wanted to make sure i was fit and kind of healthy and not burnt out before then so um i actually reassessed how i was training uh i think before i was maybe still focusing a little bit on what other people were doing but i changed my training to be basically time-based and when i was in sheffield climb-based um because it took that pressure off being like yeah you know i have to run 10 miles today or i have to i have to get to like six or seven k in my morning run things like that it was just run on feel uh you know just take that pressure off um mm. so eventually it basically worked out being the the lakes races were the the kind of a race of the season really mm-hmm. um as i'm sure they were for a lot of people um frustratingly didn't run how i think i could have done um i still already i did probably two orienteering sessions a week through lockdown um kept up on the technical side and all that but i guess just didn't deal with the pressure that i put on myself for those races uh and had some okay results but Sort of let myself down each race um and then yeah it's uh, just started working for next season really so there's kind of been nothing happening <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah the, how's the year been it's been um fine i suppose yeah um did it come yeah. has this year come well you were talking a little bit about you know being being really ready for the british champs yeah. and ready for this year's domestic season with that in mind has this year come at a really bad time or maybe on reflection like it could have been much worse and maybe maybe is it a blessing in disguise that's allowed you to therefore like you know reevaluate your training um building on stuff in terms of next year assuming next year is going to happen like how does the timing feel um the timing feels absolutely terrible for me to be honest um so if we kind of roll back to uh start of 2018 i was coming back from australia having lived there and trained for six, seven months. Um, unfortunately, got injured at the end, so the domestic British season, I was still coming back from injury and wasn't quite focused and not quite fit uh, to race the the races there. But then I moved to the Lake District and I just got really fit on the hills. Um, had a really good end to the 2019. Oh, so yeah, oh, I can't remember what year we're in now. It's all blended <laughs> into one. Um, yeah, so start of 2019, I was coming back from Australia. Um, felt like I'd raced really well out there uh felt really fit and 
kind of actually confident in my orienteering technique for once, which I think I'd not really had before that sort of almost that belief of, all oh, right, I can actually race in the seniors. You know, it's, it's not this sort of terrible, scary monster that, um, <laughs> you know, that it kind of seems like it is when you're sort of in that last couple of years of Jaywalk. Um, and the back end of 2019 was really good. Had uh, some really good runs at the Scottish Six Days and um, the British Sprints and Middles. Felt like I was just starting to knock on the door of where I wanted to be in terms of actually racing the seniors, not just not just an also ran. Mm. Um, and then after those races, actually Ollie Johnson agreed to coach me for. Well, we haven't put an end date on it, but he's he's currently coaching <laughs> me and mentoring me, and that's been just an incredible sort of opportunity and influence on my own running um to have someone of his kind of experience and pedigrees and like the fact that he's sort of agreed to it suggests that he kind of believes in me to an extent and that's you know just having someone in your corner has helped a lot mm. so we're already sort of looking at training slightly differently and you know making everything kind of specific and um, specific to myself and the when races and it was all going really well at the start of the season well if we can call it a season this year <laughs> it was going well uh ran well at kind of the big weekend at the english unis cup uh and at the training camp and then yeah suddenly everything's gone so in terms of this season i think it's been really bad um but i don't see any reason why that can't be carried over to next season so yeah having that time to really reflect on stuff is uh is not necessarily a bad thing uh but i guess we'll just have to wait and see really yeah are you someone who normally likes to race quite a lot? Yeah, I think um, I think it might be a bit old school, but the best way to get good at orienteering is do lots of orienteering. Um, and also do a lot of, you know, everyone can go and poodle around the forest and find some flags, but those kind of really specific sessions and you know, flags in the forest you race in, it does just get the kind, you know, get everything in motion and get that flow going. Um, and I think i've seemingly always had my best races at the back end of the summer after i've raced for a whole year and it's not when you want them i want them at the other end of the year but um <laughs> but yeah it's uh i think i definitely I, I like training and i like getting out in the forest but i'm aware that you need that racing to mm-hmm. to really progress i think well um not everyone would agree with you as um i think remember chatting to Casper Fosser and he's yeah. he's definitely the very you know, the other the other side of things he's a lot about the physical training and yeah all although comparatively he's still getting a lot of sessions in training with math mm. and stuff but comparatively little but I think yeah it's about you've got to be able to practice the skills yeah you know, practicing and practicing and and a lot of the time you can't do the same practicing out out of a competition even if you're taking a, a race as a, a training race then you've still yeah. got to you've still got to be able to put that kind of work in in that situation yeah i i think it just goes to show as well that the um you know orienteering is a very strange sport because like, broadly speaking in running if you run more you get better at running uh you know swimming you swim more you get better at swimming in orienteering it if you do loads of orienteering you don't necessarily get good at orienteering and it's training those kind of specific techniques um, and having the right kind of focus in your training. But this is what I think personally, I know people will probably agree with, uh, disagree with this, but um, I think tailoring your training to the demands of the terrain is really important, but also knowing yourself a bit better and knowing what you need to work on is something that I've definitely found hard to accept in the past. And I've sort of, you know, I've analysed the race and thought, oh, I made that mistake because I did this. And it's like, okay, so why did I do that? And it's like, it wasn't necessarily what I did. It was why I did that thing. Um, mm. And it was going a little bit deeper that I think I've kind of realized what works for me and what doesn't. And uh, yeah, it, it's, I just, I don't personally see how you can't be, how you can be consistently really good at orienteering without doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's to, to, to kind of expect to just do, physical training just do running or whatever mm. and then suddenly go into suddenly be handed a map and be expected to do something but i think yeah. also a lot of it is about well some of it's about technique but there's a, mm. also a big component which is about confidence and the fact yeah. that you've yeah. got in your back of your head right i found all these flags in the past year you know mm. i've shown in the icon orienteer look how much orienteering i've done like that yeah. just gives you enough of the confidence to be able to properly race the race 
yeah, like I, I've started locking my controls this year. Um, and that, that for that exact reason, you know, I can look back on my training and be like, okay, I found nearly 3,000 controls this year. I must have done something right during that time. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, that's, that is definitely a big part of it. And there are absolutely people, you know, even in the kind of British system that book that trend and they can turn up to a race and they can run really well. Um, and that's fantastic for those people. But I just know that personally, I'm not that sort of person. I need to actually prepare for a race. Um, mm. And it's, yeah, I, I definitely haven't dealt well with pressure in the past, but I know that say like the lakes races, I turned up knowing that I can at that time orienteer really well. Um, I didn't orienteer as well as I could have done, but the potential was definitely there. So I wasn't kind of asking my question, those questions of, oh, you know, will, will I actually find this control? It was always, right, okay, this is what I'm doing. And mm. that, yeah, that just helped me have that bit more confidence. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of those lakes races, like, I mean, what went well, what didn't go quite as well um, as you'd have liked on those those lakes races? Because you were, I think I've got, I've got down here, fifth, seventh, fifth, eighth and then of course disqualified on the long which we will come to sorry (laughs) Sorry, Uh, um what was what went well and what didn't go quite so well on those races um i think a real big problem i have and have definitely historically struggled with is that so those races were announced in sort of august or something like that or i remember duncan duncan mentioned something and as soon as that was there it was like okay right there's a race coming up and it was basically two months of right that's what i'm working towards mm-hmm. and i think essentially i just built it up too much in my head um and it's a shame because i was even in the sessions i was in the weeks you know, a couple of weeks before i was feeling really good when i was orienteering you know that sort of uh, that almost kind of sick sense you get of like oh, okay everything's just flowing and it feels natural i'm finding these controls because i'm doing all the right things um which is really nice but i found as soon as that kind of start beep went it just went out the window and it's something that I, i'm going to try and be working on the next uh, next year or two um so the, the kind of preparation was great but not necessarily the preparation for the day if that makes sense yeah. um how is that something you work on like that's a really difficult thing to be able to yeah to work on and it's a, it's, it's a something that i think everybody has experienced you've you know how you know you know you know how to orienteer and yet it just doesn't go right on the day what can you do about it um well this, if, if i knew that i'd be, I'd be doing <laughs> if I knew I could, yeah. um so well again and i don't know if this is like, right try and, try and yeah. see it as a any old regular race like you just orienteer the way you normally do or like or yeah i mean I, the techniques you can use i think I, I tried to do that when i was a junior and basically i just couldn't tell myself that you know, like say start off like Jack or something like that. You try and tell yourself, oh, you know, it's oh, it's, it's just Sterling Uni. Oh, you know, it's just a university campus. It's fine. I can do these. Um, but of course, it's not. You know, there's you know, there's, oh, there's a Swiss runner a minute behind me, or oh, that Swede's just gone around that corner. It's you know, it's it yeah, is a different yourself, scenario. Aren't you, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, be like, and I think it's for me, I find it almost more dangerous because mm. because you you're not in a normal setting. You know, there's not loads of um, you know like kids or older people running around. You're in a very sort of controlled elite environment um and it's designed that way because orienteering is becoming more elite and it has to have that sort of that feeling about it um for better or for worse so i think i've actually gone the other way and tried to be more proactive with kind of visualizing uh sort of scenarios that could come up in terms of okay so what happens if i do make a mistake um you know what do i then do what's my reaction or oh you know i i leave my I leave a gel in my bag or something and I haven't got it. Okay. So what do I do? And it's kind of taking ownership of those things that can happen and trying to be as proactive and and not reactive as possible. Um, So I've done, I've been trying to do quite a lot of kind of sports psychology reading and things like that. And even just um, when I'm going on run with Ollie or having a a catch up, we'll talk about, Oh, you know, what happens if this happens or are you doing this to prepare? And, even just someone else asking those questions is really good. Um, because I think you get to that point where you're kind of physical and technical training. There's only so much you can do to improve. You know, you'd like, say, say the Czech Republic next year. Okay, you're training a lot of rocky terrain. You train with your magnifier more. And you can do that a thousand times. But if you're not doing it the right way and you're not preparing for that really quite intense and almost a little bit horrible um, 
start that, then chances are something could come up and your confidence just goes. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to kind of predict the unpredictable and see what's going to happen. Um, and even things like, you know, on a, like I'm on an easy run, I'll be visualising myself having a good run and what that feels like and that sort of thing. And this sounds incredibly kind of like hippie and weird. And um, <laughs> yeah, I don't do it all the time and I'm not necessarily particularly good at it. But I think for me, that's the way I'm going to be able to feel more comfortable and confident, um, which, which, you know, it ties into the being, you know, I know I'm physically fit. I know I've done a lot of orienteering. But then if I've sort of thought about these things, then I'm also thinking, OK, and I also know what's going to happen if these problems do arise. Well, I think that's exactly what... Um... This time last year when we were chatting to Emily Benham-Crawler, like she has exactly the same, you know, mm. what what will I do if this happens, if this happens? What will I do if this person catches me up in this race, in this scenario, this is what I'm going to do? And like she's yeah. got it all thought through. So even if she has like a bike technical malfunction yeah. two minutes before her start time, she's like, you know got a plan in place mm-hmm. or already thought about it to know that it's you know so she's as little affected by that as possible yeah um yeah interesting yeah, it's like everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face <laughs> so, yeah so you need to think yeah. of everything well that yeah. can almost happen or you with the trees you know so like <laughs> well, that's true like, you know, like my dad's definitely run races and he's lost a contact lens it's like well, what do you do you know like okay you can take spare glasses with you something like that happened you know? to yeah. chris uh jones at tia miller yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, like your light goes out of the TO. What do you do? Okay, well, you know, it's that plan B. Um, but actually, Emily Emily coached me at the start of my junior career uh, following, I think, King Craig. She, uh, we worked together for about a year or so. I think she helped me get selected for my first GB selection, which was kind of incredible. So maybe there's a bit of her influence mm. filtering through at some point as well. Mm. That's very interesting. So you, <laughs> you were one of many people to disqualify Miss Punch on that long distance Lakes Reloaded. Um, yeah. What what happened with you? What was your take on it? Um, in hindsight, it's actually really annoying because when we first it hit wasn't, the bottom, it wasn't at yeah. the time. Well, yeah, I mean, it was. Oh, I was infuriated. I don't think I spoke to Mary <laughs> for like two hours in the car on the way home. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so it's, it's frustrating having looked at the splits, which means absolutely nothing in the race but um, no but you were leading up to but I was but I was leading so was punching mm. so yeah but I will I think that. I think the issue I'd had was that I'd probably just I'd run okay the day before so I think I had maybe maybe Pete chasing me uh, you know having spent the summer out in Sweden I figured Pete would be pretty fit and you know be kind of chomping at the bit so I was probably too distracted from him um was actually really quite scrappy through the first six um did lose time on the kind of long leg even though i think i got the fastest split on it um and never felt settled so basically when the terrain changed and i couldn't get away with being scrappy anymore um i didn't adapt uh sort of rushed down the hill panicked um then told myself to relocate got out to the path panicked again um essentially that just set in for basically the remainder of the race mm-hmm. um got back got it back under control a bit after the next long leg, then made another big mistake for basically the same reason, just not concentrating, not being disciplined. And um, yeah, so it kind of goes back to that. Did you punch the of, women's yeah. control in the, in the butterfly? Is that what yeah. happened? Yeah. So the, the first time I didn't. Um, oh. And I think second time I didn't. But the th- oh, maybe I did. I don't know. <laughs> but the, <laughs> but every, every time I went there, I think actually, no, I did in the second one because Pete was there. And I remember thinking, okay, well, that's Pete going round, you know, the second time. He's back at the control. So I think I just punched it and ran off, assuming that, yeah. that he got it. But he was actually looking at his map. Ah, right, and if I was more yeah. con- if I was concentrating, well, I should have seen, like, well, why is Pete just stood there? You know, that makes no sense. Um, and the second time I'd caught Aiden Rigby and we got to that control together. I think he punched it and ran off, but ran off to the proper control. And I took a slightly different route on the next leg. So, yeah, just an absolute... Right catalogue of errors um yeah well and, i think i, I yeah. think we were saying those like miss punches could have been for so like you know there's so many number of people miss punching on there be for so yeah, many yeah. different reasons i think and like but, but it's like it's, i was like i was saying earlier you know that there always is a reason um mm. and like having looked at it now it's like okay i know i wasn't settled so hopefully in future i can <laughs> think back to that and uh and yeah correct it because that's i think 
you know, it was a really good course and it was really technical. And I think there was maybe a little bit of everyone sort of run a lot over the summer. No one's mm-hmm. raced in especially technical terrain. So you don't kind of give the course the respect it needs, really. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's yeah. pretty much yeah. A lot of people will have done exactly the same way. Just kind of got a bit of, a bit ahead of themselves, basically. Mm. Um, I we can't uh, not chat to you about um fell running that you do as well, of course. Um, mm-hmm. and I think when we chatted to you earlier, you said you kind of you were almost like straddling both orienteering and fell running. <laughs> um, so how kind of how do the two compare? What are they? Um, how are those two scenes similar or different? Yeah, it's, it's a funny one. I, I think the way I always see Felrun is Felrun is incredibly fun. Like, it's such a ridiculous sport. You go and find a big mountain and you run up and down whichever way you can. Like, how absurd is that? It's, you know, who else <laughs> thinks like that? It's amazing. Um, but, I mean, you know, the, the physical training for Felrun is probably as close a comparison as we get to orienteering, which mm. helps a lot in terms of training, you know, like, any training I do for either sport um, complements the other. Um, and I think probably a similar thing that attracts me to orienteering is like the kind of community and people is they're just all really nice. You know, it's kind of that like amateur sports that you know, everyone takes it very seriously and people train incredibly hard and you know, sacrifice a lot to, to do well. But it's because they like it and they like the people doing it and you go to nice places. and <laughs> It's that same sort of ethos, really. <laughs> Um, and I find I, yeah, like I'm I'm working down in the Midlands at the minute, and there's no hills. I do find it very boring. Like <laughs> I'm doing it because I need to do the training, but I'd rather, you know, be running around Rivlin and just switching off and enjoying where I am rather than sort of you know running down May Road and trying to avoid lorries. <laughs> um, and even you know even road racing. Uh, so I ran, I ran a five k and uh, managed to get a PB in October. And it was awesome. Like it was really nice to be racing, but it was just three and a half laps of a racing track, and it it was quite dull. It's it's very prescriptive. I think that's the the thing I don't find interesting about like r- athletics, um, like road and track running, is that you pretty much know what's going to happen. Like you you know who's faster, you know what time they're going to run roughly. It, there's no drama and excitement. Whereas you know if you look at something like the Great Lakes race last year, like the clag was down and. Fell runners are notoriously bad at reading maps, and even the orienteers didn't get the maps out. And it's just, it's, it's really funny. <laughs> um, so it's that I think it's that it's a sport that doesn't necessarily take itself too seriously, and I think orienteering takes itself more seriously than that. But I think there's still that element, you know. Of, I remember like shoe trips would just drive to the lakes and get a bit drunk on the Friday night, and then be out in the forest in the snow early on the Saturday morning. And it's it's just a bit bonkers, really. It is, it is it is a lot bonk. I think yeah. both the sports very very bonkers. <laughs> what 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 can orienteering learn from fell running, and what can fell running learn from orienteering? Uh, that's quite a good, good question. I think don't want to get too political, but um, <laughs> I think uh, no, do it, do it. <laughs> well, I think um, oh, it's not even with orienteering either. So the so the FRA, I think, are very very resistant to change. Um, that's the Fell Running Association. <clears throat> yes, yeah. So, yeah, Fell Running Association. Um, they do an amazing job like British Orienteering do. You know, there's a lot of volunteers on there. I think almost everyone's a volunteer, actually. Um, and, you know, they, they put on all these races and people travel you know, hundreds of miles to get to places and do meetings, things like that. But the fact of the matter is, like, like the world is changing. Um, you know, it's, it's getting more and more difficult to access areas um it's getting more difficult to you know for, even for people to travel people are working more and have less leisure time um but they still almost run the sport as though it's you know the kind of the glory days of the 60s 70s or whatever when it was still a little bit uncharted territory you know people were still even working out how to train for the fells <clears throat> um and i think uh the, the, yeah i think british orienteering is very good at looking at new ways to adapt the sport. I mean, lockdown's been amazing for that with map runs and, um, you know, more permanent courses, things like that, and encouraging people into the sport. Whereas I think fell runners are a little bit more closed off um, and always try and keep their secrets in the hills to an extent, <laughs> which, uh, which, yeah, I think, I think it would benefit from a more, you know, outside in perspective. Um, 
even the fact you still have to enter by post for some fur races. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's you know there's a little bit of a novelty in that, and it's quite fun. But yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways it could be streamlined um, and just made a little bit easier for people to participate in a sport that's supposed to be about just getting people out in the hills and you know people testing themselves. Um, but it's sort of now okay, you're testing yourselves, but on our terms which I, I personally find frustrating. I know that will probably rub people up the wrong way a little bit. But, you know, I think, <laughs> I think it, it needs to be said to an extent. Um, and then, yeah, orienteering, I don't know, really. Uh, I think there's less, less to be taken across from fell running as there is to orienteering, really. Although I do like that men and women run the same course in fell running. And I think that's something that, I think should be pushed a little bit more in orienteering, you know, like a middle distance. There's no reason why the men and women can't run the same distance on that um, mm. and that sort of thing. But I think, or at least, yeah. you know, a long distance, you should be running the same winning time. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and yeah. particularly yeah. I, I have a quite a large issue with, for example, 14 year olds, the boys yeah. run a lot further than the girls. And sometimes their courses are more difficult. And I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I also think the step up for M16s is far too big mm-hmm. and the M16s are running a blue and the W16s are running a green and I think that's far too big a difference as well at, like at yeah. that age it's and well even you know just at any age really but um yeah the the step up that is expected from the boys and even the 14 year olds should not be running any further than you know boys should not be running any further than the girls well were you yeah. still the main thing there is they're still learning to orienteer as well. Mm. It's not um, yeah. it's not about you know who's physically fastest. It should be about okay who can find these controls and who can mm. set up this kind of robust technique to then yeah. push them through the next few ranks because it's yeah um, and, often, and, you know, and often yeah. for when when uh, the you know if it's the the age class is matched to course numbers the boys' mm-hmm. course ends up being a little bit further but also maybe the girls' courses are the light green and the boys isn't is yeah. a bit more difficult than a light green or just yeah. or maybe they're both light green but because the boys goes a little bit further it's you know it just happens to be a bit bit more difficult and i think that is not on yeah, yeah. no i i agree no, and and even in the elites you know like I, I think it's a little bit insulting to think that like tove who was second at the golden trail series can't race for 90 to 100 minutes i think that's mm. yeah that is quite insulting to the amount of work that the kind of elite women put in yeah, um, both both you know men and women they both run a marathon. You know, it's the yeah, same yeah, it's, yeah, you know, exactly. Why yeah. it can't be the same at least you know yeah. winning time. The um, women don't don't work any less hard than the men. You know, if if not if anything they probably work harder because you know they they train with the men's groups and things like that because there isn't necessarily that support for the for the women's teams. Which um, you know it's it's a bit of a sad indictment on the sport really. Mm, yeah. Definitely, I, that, I think that's a good thing to bring in. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, especially as it's sprinter middle. It's the same winning mm. times. Why does it have to get suddenly over an hour? Go, oh, yeah. nope. Yeah, it's, nope. it's just okay. Sorry. To be honest. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a hangover, I think, from a time when... Uh, it's like you turn, bit, you turn up bit, to yeah. some road races and there's, there's prize money for the first woman and then the first 10 men. And you just yeah. think, what's going yeah, on yeah, here? It's, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it is, it's really annoying because you, you, know, you see the way they are working their asses off all the time. And, you know, they're also, right now, they're out in the wind and the rain and they're, you know, they're doing their track session on Tuesday night. And they should be rewarded for that with, you know, it's much anything. They're like, they're paying the same amount. They should get the same mm. value for money. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Ah, well, do, you, do, you, do you feel quite smug when orienteers just turn up to a fell race and do really well? Oh, I absolutely love it. It's so good. Yeah. I find that hilarious. Yeah. It's great. I get, I, I get messages from some of the, uh, some of like the Lakeland Fell Runners or uh, some guys in the peaks and they're like, this orienteer's turned up. Have you heard of them? And like, they've won by five minutes. And it's like, oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's like, it's like Pete Hogginson or it's like, oh, it's Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's so, and it's really funny as well because I was out uh, when I was living up there. Um, around with a with a couple of friends and you know like i had a map and compass in my bag just for like a training run and they're like oh we know the fells it's fine it's like right okay so they're like you know even even when they're running they have they think they know where they're going but you can look at the map and be like why why aren't we just going that way it's miles quicker but yeah it's um no it's really good yeah i i just find it quite interesting because we were all um, on a call chatting about MV shoes um, mm. in the last week and how we were chatting about the shoes saying, oh, well, you might need this for um, 
for fell running but actually mm-hmm. orienteers need something like a little bit extra like because it's a bit more difficult <laughs> so maybe you need yeah, these a little shoes. bit more hardcore and yeah. i was just <laughs> like that is that is brilliant like that is exactly the kind of like attitude like yeah well you know you need it's quite fell running is quite tough but orienteering like it's definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. Yeah, it's like what, what's a path it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's great if you, if you turn up in a like road running vest as well. Mm, yeah, like, uh, then it's really funny because people look at you like, oh, "What's this? What's yeah. this Joker doing? He's not going to do anything." <laughs> out on the to, first. To be climb. fair, I, I think I do that as well. Like in a peaks race, if someone turns up with like a you know like a Steel City Striders or a Hallamshire vest, you sort of think, "Ah, oh, they don't have to run on the hills. It's fine." It's, <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. So. um well, let's start wrapping this up. Um, Nathan, what's, what is the winter holding for you? What are you hoping for for next year? What are your aims? How are you going to get there? Um, <laughs> That's quite a big yeah. question. Gives <laughs> the deets. Well, it's obviously, it's obviously a little bit dependent on what happens next year. Um, I'm currently aiming for a spring season, as I think most people are. Um, I think it was really good for British Orienteering to post the selection document and kind of clarify that, you know, if the race doesn't happen as specified then they'll either try and replace it on the same weekend or just cancel it and i think that's that's really really good for athletes to be actually you Mm. know to be able to actually um plan their training and target specific races um so yeah currently i think the first race is uh the british champs uh start of march yep um unless there's a uk elite league before that just get my I'll look at my calendar later but anyway yeah there's talk of one in january but that that won't be in the selection policy yeah no, so, so yeah, so basically start of March. Um, I think I maybe like the back end of when I was in the juniors, I maybe tried to specialise a bit in the sprint. And to be honest, I think it just backfired massively. Um, I basically just mispun- mispunched the Jaywalk sprint because I put so much pressure on it. So it was kind of a year wasted. So I don't try and specialise anymore at the minute. And I'm also kind of not in the position to uh, being in that sort of strange limbo time kind of before uh, between jaywalk and getting into the senior ranks where um there does seem to be a lot of kind of people dropping out of the sport like we were saying earlier um so it's essentially i mean that kind of head down crack on try and train hard try and race hard and see what happens um it's it is quite difficult to try and plan you know I can't just say oh, I want to run walk next year because that's dependent on so many factors, mm-hmm. and I don't have that kind of international um, those results to back up any kind of claim. I really have to prove it in the selection races. So my main aim for next year is the domestic British season. Um, kind of, <laughs> my, my main aim is to race internationally, and I'm planning my training to do so. But in order to do that, I need to race well domestically. So yeah, start with the British champs, and then. You know, or seemingly every weekend until May. That's mm. that's my plan at the minute. Have um, you you've not raced as a senior yeah. for GB before, have you? I've oh run Euromeet. Right. I, I ran Euromeet in Norway. Oh, okay, um, yeah. badly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, and then other than that, no, I've just uh, I've just been racing domestically basically. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, I you know, I'd love to get selected for Europeans or walk because they are the kind of the the kind of blue ribbon events next year um but realistically kind of any any british squad selections uh in world cups europeans or what or walk would be uh amazing uh my training is kind of planned around walk as i'm sure most sort of seniors are but i think it's perhaps a little bit more flexible than you know some of the kind of the older more experienced guys might be um who are a little bit more confident about actually actually get in there so um yeah winter is basically trying to keep fit uh keep healthy i'm still trying to orientate at least once a week uh, it's a bit difficult with work at the minute but uh and then yeah from the new year trying to up that to twice a week um maybe three times in february but i'm a little bit unsure on that uh and yeah um and <laughs> let's see what next year holds um i'd still like to race for leading a um leading us sorry uh in tiamila and eucla and try and get to the first team there as well that's another another aim for this year well thanks nathan very much for jumping on and you know joining us for the 2020 season review and uh giving us an insight into uh your plans for next year as well um that is almost 
the end of the episode of our final main one for 2020. We do, of course, have a sprint episode with Nathan coming up next week. Um, But before we go, a quick word from our sponsors. Catherine, believe you have been out testing the F2, the Forest 2 shoe, an actual race. Yeah, actually managed to have an actual race and the the Forest 2s were great. Yeah, so they're the ones that don't have the metal dobs. I didn't think the terrain was like demanding enough to be able to need that. But as a race shoe, you know, very light, very durable, able to tackle kind of the ups and downs and all the bracken and everything like that um whilst being you know pretty light and and allowing me to yeah get some decent speed up on the through the terrain there so if you want to uh chat to mary fleming you can email her at on envystraight.uksales at gmail.com nvii str number eight dot uk sales at gmail.com that's where you can go to order some shoes from mary brilliant and uh you know thanks very much to mv and straight for supporting us throughout this season um looking forward to hopefully their continued um sponsorship next year so yeah go and check them out and um speak to mary if you need any shoes or compasses but that brings us to a close for 2020 mm. thank you very much to everyone who has got involved and um supported this across the year um ralph street for his orienteering conundrum throughout the first <laughs> lockdown um which i think we need to try and get back on for next year yeah, and yeah, yeah. Every, all, all of the new listeners and everything like that because um we have seen those increases as well so thank you to everybody and hopefully see you next year yeah we're gonna have a little break now we're gonna have a little break over christmas little break over new year and we'll, we'll be back in the new year with the next podcast so have a very uh merry christmas and happy new year 